Well, today is Inauguration Day in America, and as I was driving my bus uphill on this dark, cold morning, I realized that Esther 8 is also about an inauguration. God knew who he wanted raised up in the Persian kingdom. Satan threw all he had at the Jews, God's chosen people, but it was to no avail. And God used miracles through the power of prayer and fasting to remove the usurper and place his servant in the position he was destined for. Find out how that worked today as we look at Esther 8 in today's episode of For Such a Time as This. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Storming the Gates, a podcast for and about prayer, prayer that changes things. But I have to tell you, I'm glad right now I didn't name it Storming the Capital, or I might be in a heap of trouble. Well, I am back from a visit to my daughter's downstate where I got to play horses with my adorable grandkids and hold my absolutely perfect new grandson, if I do say so myself. And now my precious mom is here for a couple weeks, and she's listening to me do this podcast. Well, anyway, I'm playing catch-up in many areas, but I knew I needed to get this podcast out today, and I pray you are also doing well. We're going to return now to the book of Esther. Esther was a beautiful queen who stormed the gates of hell by calling for a three-day fast of all her people before she approached the king unbidden. Uh, currently, I'm involved in something called a 444 fast, four days, every day till four, and we're praying for four more years of President Trump. Um, but whether or not you're a supporter of President Trump, there is something that changes when we fast and pray. When we look back at chapter 7, there's a crazy series of timing and coincidences that clearly point to the hand of God. Haman, the enemy of the Jews, has been removed from power and executed. (laughs) What an answer to prayer. But now let's take a look at Esther 8, verse 1. It says, On that day did the king Ahasuerus give the house of Haman, the Jews' enemy, unto Esther the queen. Let's stop right there. Let me tell you that this was no chump change. Earlier, when Haman offered to put 10,000 talents of silver towards the Jews' demise, he was offering to give the king 750,000 pounds of silver. That is 375 tons. I mean, how many 18-wheelers would it take to deliver all of that? And for those times... How many camels? Today, that would be about $96 million. It would be two-thirds of the Persian Empire's annual income. No wonder King Ahasuerus blindly rubber-stamped the demise of this people group when Haman offered that money. And yet God, the great turner of tables, used the very circumstance intended to destroy Esther and Mordecai's people to give them the very money intended to murder them. And surely Haman possessed even more than what he'd offered the king for that dastardly deed. Well, let's continue. It says at the end of verse 1, And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was unto her. So now their secrets are being revealed. He knows she's Jewish, and now she brings in um, her cousin and says that he had raised her. Now the king takes off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it unto Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. 
Well, this was Mordecai's inauguration. There was no demon on earth, no evil plan of the enemy that could thwart the purpose of God. They were on their last leg of hope. A sword was about to swing down on the house of Israel, but God said, no. Daniel 2 verse 21 said, and God changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. So did the Jews sit still and wait when their execution was imminent? Well, they did wait in one way. They waited on God. They fasted and they prayed and they pleaded. God had promised them that if they were in captivity and turned back to him, humbled themselves and repented, he would restore them. Let's look at Second Chronicles 6, verse 36 through 39. Solomon was uh, praying this before uh, the people of Israel and when they dedicated the temple. He said, And if they sin against thee, for there is no man which sinneth not, and thou be angry with them, and deliver them before their enemies, and carry them away captives into a land far off or near. So right now, the Jewish people are far away in Babylon. Verse 37, yet if they bethink themselves in the land where they are carried captive and turn and pray unto thee in the land of their captivity, saying, keep this in mind, we have sinned, we have done amiss and have dealt wickedly. If they return to thee with all their hearts and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, whither they have carried them captives and pray towards their land, which thou gavest unto their fathers and towards the city, which thou hast chosen and towards the house, which I built for thy name. Then hear thou from heavens, even from thy dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications and maintain their cause and forgive thy people, which have sinned against thee. And then in the very next chapter, seven, the next uh, chapter of Second Chronicles 7, verse 14, we read this. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. But we love to quote that verse. But we sometimes fail to remember that as surely as God keeps his promise of deliverance, God also keeps his promise to send us into captivity. And the remedy is not just prayer. It is also repentance. One of the things I wonder is, has America repented? That's a question I find myself asking when I'm in a prayer group interceding for our nation. And I know something about captivity. I was a pastor's wife for 20 years. I served and loved God with all my heart and all that was within me. Well, at least I thought I did, until I allowed sin in. And soon I was as entrapped in sin as some are trapped in drugs and alcohol addictions. I tried to hide. I tried to run. I felt like the spy in the opening of the old show, Get Smart, who keeps going through door after door, trying to get away, and finally reaches the end. And I was trapped by my own sin. I felt as broken as a window shattered into a thousand tiny shards, I felt like my soul was impossible to put together again. I lost my ministries. I lost the respect of everyone who previously saw me as a godly and wise pastor's wife. I lost the house I loved, my marriage, for a season, even my children. Finally, I moved away, and I really felt like I was in captivity. 
And I can remember thinking during those dark and empty days that God was just. My pain was right and good. Just as God kept his promises and had miraculously provided and cared for me before I fell, he also kept his promises to uproot me and move me into a type of captivity until I repented and called on his name. The good, even great news is this. When I called on him and turned from my wicked ways, he moved powerfully in my life. He restored and he healed me. It took a few years to be sure, but he is forgiving and loving towards all he has made. Back to Esther chapter 7. God kept his word in Proverbs 29 verse 23 to cast down the proud and raise up the humble. Mordecai and Esther were both, uh, Esther was, was an orphan and Mordecai and her were both captives because of the sin of Israel. And they were a minority in a foreign land, yet God was with them and they have suddenly become powerful and wealthy. And in chapter eight, Mordecai has now been given the keys to the kingdom. With the king's signet ring, he could enact and enforce laws. It showed an unusual amount of trust from the king. It was like the power to write executive orders in the White House. Well, God placed Mordecai there because the children of Israel needed help, and they would need protection from high places as they returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, which was another promise God had made and was in the midst of fulfilling when Esther and Mordecai rose up in power in the kingdom of Persia. Mordecai stood before the king and the kingdom in defense of the Jews. God never forsakes his people. The king realized who it was who really cared. He realized who it was who was actually willing to stick his neck out for him. Mordecai was a simple noble man within the gates. He expected nothing in return. He was a man who was largely responsible for the queen's favorable disposition and wisdom. Mordecai was a man who stood before Haman, even though it meant certain death. And Esther, too, had risked her life and limb by entering the king's court. These are folk who hold their beliefs and principles above power and prestige. Can you imagine if you were the greatest ruler on earth, like King Ahasuerus? You may have become jaded by the clamor of people desiring to be on your good side in order to obtain fame and fortune for themselves. How would you know who was genuine and who was in it to get something? For King Ahasuerus, it must have been refreshing to find these honest and genuine people in a world of sinister and slithery characters. The Bible tells us that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Just like King Ahasuerus, God is looking for those he can trust, those who are loyal to him. And that should be our greatest endeavor. God, our King, has any number of people seeking fame, fortune, and their own personal benefit from Him. He is looking for those loyal unto death and those who trust in Him, even though all seems lost. Those who will stand up for His good name and that which is right when evil threatens to overthrow the good. God wants to show Himself strong for you. And that might be why circumstances appear bleak or destitute. Because perhaps God is delightfully clasping his hands together, eager to perform a miracle. There's a verse in Isaiah 3.10 that's been on my mind, and I feel like it's a word from the Lord for his people right now. It says, tell the righteous it will be well with them. It is well. 
Though the mountains quake and though the nations tremble, God still has his eye on you to save, deliver, and heal. So stand firm, my friends, for your salvation draws near. The God who saved the children of Israel, the Jewish nation, back in the days of the Persian Empire, is still here to save us. So, Lord, I lift up my friends, Lord God, and I pray that you will give them just that that sense of your presence, that they will turn to you and that they will uh, experience you and that your strength and your power and your life will be strong on them, that they might encounter you so that they know that you are with them to save and deliver and heal. Lord, I pray for whatever bleak circumstance they might be facing. And God, I pray that you will give them faith and strengthen them to endure as these days draw on. There might be some turbulent waters ahead, Lord God, but you are at the helm of the ship and we trust you. Alrighty, you have a great day today. Uh, You can touch base with me on Twitter, StormingTheGat1, Faith and Fasting. on Facebook, or visit my site, stormingthegates.net. Until next time, God bless.